watching and playing, that's running the stream in the back, that's doing the computer. To do that like right after Christmas, I mean, you probably had a hard time like driving here, right? Let's give it up for them. So it's good to see you guys. Before, before I say anything else, I have to give a shout out to, to uh, a, young, a young woman who's been here, Cammie. Um, she's been here, she's from here, but she goes to school in Tuskegee, Alabama, and this is going to be her last Sunday with us for a while, right? She will be back, right? It's like at the end of a Marvel movie, it's like so-and-so will be returning, right? <laughs> so, so it's been great to have you here, uh, to get to know you a little bit, and you've been such an encouragement to us here, and so uh, yeah, we love you, okay? Amen, let's get into the message. How you doing? Good to see you, Wes. All right, all right. Sorry, you, let's look. Let's. We got to talk about the word. We could fellowship later. What do you talk about the day after Christmas? What do you do? We we deal with this once as a congregation every seven years. We got to figure this out. It's like it's the day after Christmas. So what do we talk about? Do we just move on? Right. And, and, and what do you do the day after Christmas? I'm already, I'm literally, I'm just eat leftovers. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, on Christmas Day, after lunch, I'm already thinking about what am I going to do in 2022 on Christmas Day. That's just, I'm telling you where I'm coming from. My nature, my default is like, all right, cool Christmas. We did the presents, ate a meal. What's next? And I, I can't imagine I'm alone. I'm just sharing with you where I'm coming from. What do we do the day after Christmas? What does that mean for you? Clean up, move on. I think I said it already. I need a holiday from the holiday. Right? What happens to baby? Oh, amen. What happens to baby Jesus? The nativity scene. What happens to that? Throw it in the, in the tote, right? What happens to the Christmas spirit? Right? Watch how fast the radio stations turn off the music and all that. People start going on social media. It's like, turn off the Christmas music. It's over. <laughs> Shout out to the year-round people. There's a few of you left. Perhaps in the midst of our cultural celebration of Christmas, we miss out on some of this, of moving on, you know, and, and, that, and I think that has some effect here. So what I'd like to share with you this morning is in Luke, the story that comes right after the nativity right after the birth of the King Jesus, what happens next? And I noticed we don't really talk about this part as much. And I think, th I think, I believe there's something there for us. How do we receive Jesus in our lives? You know, it can be challenging to stay joyful and faithful to God to keep that quote-unquote Christmas spirit up all year long, right? It's hard. It's really hard to do that. We're going to look in Luke. You want to turn to uh, Luke chapter 2. Go ahead. That's where we will be. And, and Jesus, in, in this moment, in Luke 2, Jesus is going to be presented at the temple. And we're going to see two people, a man and a woman, who are going to give us an example of what it means to respond to the presence of Jesus. Wordplay intended. The presence of Jesus. How do you respond to the presence of Jesus? Amen? How do you respond to the presence of Jesus? So let's go there, okay? Let's go there. Luke 2, 
context here is important. Like I said, we, uh, this is where the Charlie Brown special ends. It doesn't go here, right? It ends after the, 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 the manger, and they're like, okay, cool. Let's dance break, movie over. But what happens after? Well, the nativity's over. Jesus has a not-so-great experience seven days after he's born. A good and important thing happens, but not for baby Jesus. But that's an important thing to happen. He's circumcised. And then now the time comes in Jewish law for 40 days after uh, a mother gives birth to her child. Both the child and the mom are considered under the law, right? There's a lot we can talk about here, but they're considered unclean for 40 days. And after 40 days, then they go to the temple to be purified, and then they can rejoin the community. Amen? So that's what's happening here. Just to give you a little bit of context, let's jump in. Luke 2, starting at 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. We're setting the scene here. Mary and Joseph don't have a lot of money. And if you paid attention early on while Mary is pregnant, there seems to be some tension, some social tension, some familial tension They can't even go to a family town and get a place to stay, which is unheard of. So these people coming in after that 40-day period, coming to the temple, there's nothing special about them that stands out. The thing you're supposed to do is sacrifice a sheep. They can't even afford a sheep. They have to sacrifice two two doves, right? So my point is, like, they're just kind of coming into this big, bustling situation, city, the temple complex. All right. Now here enter two important people that I I don't think we talk about enough. Simeon and Hannah. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and again, set the scene here. We're going to pause for a second. Set the scene. Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus, they're just some young backwoods people coming into the city, the big city, to do their, religi- the, their, their obligation to the law. Right? They're trying to be righteous in that. That's what they're trying to do. So they come in. And, and if, if you know anything about the temple complex in Jerusalem, it's a busy place. There's a lot going on in the temple courts. People are buying and selling animals for sacrifices. Right? I, I want you to just kind of think of, oh, I'm not even going to try to make an analogy. I was like, the mall, but I'm like, not really. But Jesus might be like, well, kind of. That's why I did the thing. Right? It's a busy place. There's a lot going on. And in this just hustle and bustle in this time, does this sound like Christmas shopping at all, right? In this hustle and bustle, and they're just trying to fulfill the law, this dude comes and baby snaps Jesus. 
<laughs> Set the scene here. What is happening? I mean, if, if someone would try to do that, don't be afraid of me. Be afraid of Marissa. She will, like, Derek Henry stiff arm you before you get to that child. Like, Doctor Strange, your spirit will leave your body. Like, don't even try. I mean, Simeon was, he was, he was a man of the community. He had a reputation. It says he was righteous and devout. People knew that about him. So it's a little different. If someone in that culture comes up, they're like, let me see your baby. You're like, yes, please. Like, right? It's like if the president or whoever, someone notable came and like, can I hold your child? You're like, yes. Right? That's more the situation. But it's just crazy. Like, they're in here, and this guy's like, let me hold your baby. And they're like, okay, here's my baby. And then what does he say? He says, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for, the revela- a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. Wow. Simeon. He's righteous. He does what is right. He's devout. He fulfills the law, not for malicious intent, not for personal gain, because it's good, right? He is righteous. That's, I'm just saying what the text says. He's righteous and devout. What does it say about him? He's waiting on God to console Israel. He's waiting on God to console Israel. Hold on to that thought, because I think we might connect with that. And he responds to seeing Jesus with praise. He says, God is faithful. He says, rescue has finally come for all people. He trusts God so much. Simeon trusts God so much because he's taken the words of God to heart. The prophet Isaiah are just overflowing from him. He trusts in God so much that when he just has an emotional outburst, what comes out is God's words. That's like convicting about like, how much do I really soak in the word, right? Beyond verse of the day, but really saturate myself in it. Yes? Do you know what I'm talking about? I love you, version. We like you, new version. Okay. Think of all the other things in Jerusalem Simeon could have been waiting on. It says he was waiting on God to console Israel. But there were other things he could have been doing that maybe in the eyes of others made more sense. That sounds weird, but let's break this down. He could have been like the zealots who had their own plan to overthrow the colonial rule of the Romans to console Israel. Simeon could have put his hope with the Herodians, the political games, the rubbing shoulders with those in the world and the way they do things, as long as it means we could console Israel. Simeon could have put his hope, he could have been on the temple system itself. The structure it become, this economic center it's become, these social classes that the temple system had built. Maybe we could put our hope in that to be the thing that consoles Israel. Maybe the law alone, there were some Jews who just moved away. They're called the Essenes. They just moved away. They're like, we're going to go follow the law alone, away from this crazy world. You're doing the law, but you're losing the heart, because what is the heart? Church, 
be a blessing to the world, right? There's so many things Simeon could have put his hope in. He could have trusted. He could have waited on. But he waited on God. He waited on God. You know, those things are much more tangible. We can talk about a plan, a scheme. We can point to the temple system and the money being exchanged and how we could use that to console Israel. Those things are tangible things. Are you following me? Yeah, just wait for the implications, right? Those things are surely more attractive and alluring too, right? If Simeon had been devoted to those things, he probably would have missed out on Jesus. It was because he trusted in God's story above the story of man so that he was able to experience, experience Jesus in the present. Let's look at another person here. This is, we're going to follow this up. Um, we're going to go down to verse 36 in Luke 2. Okay. 36. There's a pro- also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. And look, when the Bible says someone's very old, that means they're really old. I'm just saying. She had lived with her husband seven years. Catch this. This is crazy. She was only married for seven years and then became a widow and stayed a widow. And either the way, depending on how this is translated, she was either a widow until she was 84, which is where she'd be at now, or she was a widow for 84 years. Math, whatever. It's a long time, right? 60 years, 84 years, whatever. She never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. The scene. They're in the temple. They're, they're just probably, I imagine, Joseph and Mary. I don't, I don't know their hearts, but I imagine they're just like, we're here to do the purification ritual. Someone just came and snatched Jesus. Okay, let's just, okay, let's go to the priest now. And then here comes this prophetess who, who, lives, who probably lives in the temple. She probably lives there in a life of constant worship, contemplative worship, praying and fasting, probably also tending to other people who are in the act of worship. She's given her life to this. She's given her life to God. She's deeply committed to having an intimate relationship with God, 24-7 lifestyle of commitment. She responds to thanks, with thanks to God, and then she spreads that news to people around her that rescue has come, redemption has come. Think of all the other things Anna could have been committed to for her. What's probably the first thing a woman would do if their husband died or they got divorced, what would she probably try to do, especially in this time and culture? You gotta get remarried. You gotta, I don't think they had dating apps. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jerusalem, heart and soul, okay. Um, right, but, but that's, that's more than, that, that's survival. A woman to not be married in this time, yeah, like, you're putting yourself out there in the streets. And, and, and again, I don't know Anna's heart, but I'm certain she probably maybe had some ambition too, right? 
building her own family up, having children. She could have put her hope in the temple system. She could have put her hope in Herod. Herod had built that temple system. She, I mean, she's living in the temple system that he had built. She could have been like, all right, my allegiance goes to Herod because I'm living in the temple he built, right? Do you see how easy it could have been for her to give her hope and trust to other things and other people? But she didn't. But she didn't. If she had been devoted to those things, she probably would have missed out on seeing Jesus and experiencing Jesus. It's because she would trust in God's story. It's because she was looking out for redemption from God, not from other things, people, but from God that she saw Jesus. So the point this morning is really, really, really simple. Be like Simeon and Anna. Be like Simeon and Anna. A couple of cool things that I believe might be happening here. Luke is amazing in writing down this gospel. He did some amazing things with words. And he inserts things in a certain place in order to make deep points. We've, we've talked about kind of gems hidden underneath the surface in the Bible. I believe this is, there's something here. What do their names mean? Simeon and Anna. How often do you just read names in the Bible and we're like, cool name. I wouldn't pick it. Right? Yeah. I, I don't want to call anybody's name out. We might know someone. <laughs> but um, Simeon. Simeon, the, the, the way it's pronounced is Shimon, which means to hear. Right? Let that, let that linger, right? To hear. Anna. It's the same name as Hannah, which is Kana, which means to be favored. The mother of Samuel, right? First Samuel chapter 1. <laughs> Hannah. Yes, yes, yes. Shimon. To listen, to hear, he who listens. Hannah, she who's favored. What's happening in this story? Maybe it has something to do with when we listen to God's story and dwell on God's words, as Shimon did, we experience a true righteousness that leads us to God's redemptive plan. Maybe it's like Anna, when we deeply commit our lives and ambitions to God, God will show favor by leading us to redemption, which results in us sharing that redemption with other people. Listen to God, and his favor will come. Let's take this lesson from Simeon. What narratives are you listening to? What story are you clinging to? To listen means more than the practice of listening. It's like when I used to teach and my students wanted to play, I don't know, I'm going to throw somebody out there, Billie Eilish, and read about the Civil War at the same time. It's not going to work. You're not going to do well in the quiz. I mean, you're going to have gaps in your it's not going to work. Like, your brain doesn't work that way. And they're like, I can listen to two things. You can't. You can't. You cannot do it. Your brain does not work that way. That's proven. But it's, that, it's also like that on a deeper level, on a heart level. We can't be listening and taking in stories 
from other people, other things that aren't of God, and then say, also, I'm taking in God's story. It's like when Jesus said you can't have both God, like you can't love both God and mammon, like God and material. It's the same concept. You can't do both. Or our culture says, have your cake and eat it too, right? I don't know if that's a bad analogy, but I think you understand, right? What narrative do you listen to that, that shape you and influence you? We, we kind of pointed to the things Simeon could have put his hope in, but what, how does that correlate to us? Okay, we guys, are you guys ready for the really real? I hope so, okay. Do them like this. National political narratives. I'm going there. I'm starting. I'm sorry. Oh, it's going to get more personal. How much do you let those narratives drive your relationship with God, your relationship with other peoples? Well, I learned this growing up. I was told this. Look, we all were. Lots of things, lots of different things, lots of contradicting things. Do you know yourself well enough? Do you know if you have a bend to kind of go to those narratives because they make you feel more comfortable or like you've got someone to back you up? Social and economic, same thing there. There are trends in society, groups in society, same thing. Same thing. Companies. Man, there's so much messaging being put out. This sounds like a, but there is, guys. There's so much messaging being put out. I'm not talking about conspiracies. I'm talking about very blatant things. What about, I've used this phrase before, churchianity. It's almost like a worship of church and the organization of church over God. We all have expectations on how things should go. And when they contradict, it gets hard. And we get hurt in the process. But God calls us to love him and love others. What narratives do you listen to? Are you actively aware of those influences in your tendencies? What voices are competing with God's voices? Or maybe even worse off, what voices are starting to mix with God's voice or mimic? We've got to be really careful about that. There's something about us as a faith community. When we come together, we let our guards down. We're like, yeah, the way people get down out there, it's not going to happen in here. We do trust in God's spirit. But we also bring in stuff from outside. And it can hurt even more here. We've got to be aware. We've got to be aware. From Hannah, what, what questions, what implications are there? What are your desires and ambitions for your life? What are you committing yourself to? Think of all the things, again, we mentioned Hannah could have committed herself to. Finding another husband, building up her family, leaving a legacy that goes down from her daughters to her daughters to her daughters, right? That's what you want as a Jewish woman in this time. That's what it's about. She gave herself over to God and trusted in God's story. So what is it for us? Do we have like a self-image we want to chase that we just go after? Careers? Ambition that's, that's twisted up with having to have a certain role or certain position or live in a certain neighborhood or your kid's going to a certain school? Is that too real? Do I need a backup? No, I'm going in. Self-indulgence? 
I live for the next thing that's going to make me feel good. Status, wealth building. This stuff is sneaky, guys. This stuff works its way into God's church. And it sounds a lot like God. We get scriptures that match some of these things-ish. Sounds close enough. Doesn't quite rhyme. But let's take it because it makes me feel good. Hannah knew her worth. And she knew her worth was determined by God and not people, not even herself. Do you seek God's favor or people's favor? This is, the real, this is probably the most real question all morning, okay? Do you understand how God views you? Do you deeply know God? some situations when we venture close to those questions people squirm I squirm those are hard questions those are the deepest of deep questions but we have to go there we have to be the people that go there so let's wrap this up there's a lot of implications there and if you've ever listened to me speak you know I'm not the one to give you a one two three plan but here's some, here's some scripture, here's some Jesus, let's wrestle through that together. Let's talk about it the week. Maybe those questions did it for you. Maybe they hit you, and you're thinking right now, you're like, okay, all right, sounds like I'm going to go on a walk with God, and we're going to talk about this. Sounds like I need to talk to this brother or sister. Maybe those questions didn't do it for you, and you need to connect with someone and dig deeper, get a deeper angle. I don't know where you're at this morning, but take it somewhere. Take it somewhere. Let's take this Christmas spirit along with us. The bottom line, God is about, uh, Christmas is about receiving and responding to the Messiah coming into the world. I think we need that reminder. I know I needed that reminder today. I think we need that reminder today, the day after Christmas. What was that for? It's about Jesus coming into the world. What that actually means, really, really means, it's about trusting in God's story over our own expectations and ambitions. And that becomes really evident when we experience Jesus deeply in our lives. It overflows to others. For our time of communion this morning, after listening, after reading that story, after hearing their names, I immediately thought of Jesus sharing about the greatest commandment. So let's go to Matthew 22 and let this guide our hearts for communion. Do you remember what uh, Shimon, what, is, what does that name mean? To hear. to hear, yeah, yeah. What was the greatest commitment in, uh, in Judaism? The Shema, yeah. Hear, okay, interesting here. Let's go to Matthew 22, starting in verse 37. Let's guide our hearts for communion this morning. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, here you go. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He's going to 
Shema, Deuteronomy 6. It starts with, listen, Israel. Shema, Israel. Listen, you who wrestle with God. Okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When Jesus says something like that, we should think about that. So let's think about that this morning. God's command, the greatest commandment, is to listen to him, to trust him. Shimon. It's to deeply commit ourselves to him, give him everything we have. Our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind. And to love others. Jesus lived this out. Let's do the same together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We'll have a time of communion together, and we will continue worshiping with a song. Father, we come before you, and we are so grateful for what you have shared with us through Jesus, through his life. And even in moments where Jesus isn't even talking yet, the effect that you have on us through him, the effects that you had Simeon and Anna, the lessons we can learn from just dwelling on those stories and what they mean. And, and, and Father, I pray that you reveal to each one of us individually where we can listen to you, where we can, can seek your favor, Father. And help us to do that as we do that individually. Help us to do that together, to be a community of people that just shines, that's just different from the world, that's just really, really just, ah, people look at us and see you. God, that's what we ask. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for the way he poured himself out for you. God, help us to be like him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.